Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. By the time I lost my sight at the age of 21, I'd already been exposed to a fair amount of travel. Today's guest, Elizabeth Mavike, had a different experience. Like me, she became blind as an adult. But unlike me, the first time she traveled outside her home city was after becoming blind. I loved this interview, getting to learn a little bit more about what that experience was like for Elizabeth. So let's jump straight into that interview so you can learn a little bit about Elizabeth Mafike. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're chatting to Elizabeth Mafike, who is the Western Cape provincial chairperson of the national South African National Council for the Blind, the SANCB. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? Thanks so much for joining us on the call. It's only a pleasure for me to join everybody with this call and to you. Um, thank you for um, interviewing me. And yes, I am the chairperson of Western Cape branch of South African National Council of the Blinds Wing, which is Sabuya. And then um, nationally, I'm the deputy. Well, it is fantastic to have you with us. And thanks for making the time to chat to us. Maybe you could just start off in telling us a little bit of your story, a little bit about who is Elizabeth? Okay, Doki. Elizabeth has been blind for the past 18 years now. I lost my sight due to hypertension. I've um, gone through my rehabilitation training at places such as um, Noble in Cape Town. And then also the major part of my training was at Cape Town Society of the Blind. And then I also was employed at um, South African National Council of the Blind as on a contact for a year. Then I started studying public relations correspondence. And after that, I did journalism full-time and I graduated last year as journalist. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Just to, to clarify for our international listeners, LOFOB is the League of Friends of the Blind. That's correct. And they are a rehabilitation center based actually quite close to where I live. Oh. Great. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, when we chatted before, you mentioned that 
prior to losing your sight in 2002, you hadn't ever really traveled outside of Cape Town. But since then, you've traveled quite extensively around South Africa. Tell us a little bit more, please. That's correct. When I could still see, I was like very much of a um, staying at home person. Um, then after I lost my sight as, and I started working at National Council of the Blind in Pretoria, um, my traveling started. And I went to all the provinces and sometimes people might ask me, but and I just love traveling. And then people would ask me, but you're blind. And I'm like, yes, but I still love traveling. <laughs> so um, it was a bit funny at some instances. It was quite funny. Um, you know, people would ask me all these unnecessary questions about, yeah, but what's the point? And I would say it was, it's, it's the experience. It's the, the, the different cultures that you, you meet, the different people, nature, and I love nature. And the different circumstances you'll end yourself into. And it's, it's just beautiful and traveling um, in and around. And being totally blind and traveling, like people would usually tell me, you're brave. Um, but yeah, I'm brave and I've been traveling and I love traveling and I don't think I would ever stop traveling. Um, yeah, I, I haven't done it internationally yet. Um, two countries that I would love to go and visit is Korea and also Ireland. But for now, it was just Cape, <laughs> South Africa, and it was beautiful. What was it like, that first experience of traveling? What, were you nervous? <laughs> were you anxious? Nervous? It was <laughs> undeniably scary. Um, the first, <laughs> the first time I got into this was now when I took off my interview for the job um, vacancy at National Council for Blind. I got into the bus that morning, not knowing exactly where I'm going to, not knowing exactly who's going to pick me up from where I get off, but I did it in total faith. And I got onto the bus and um, scary the whole trip through. And it took me about almost something like 20, 21 hours. Ooh, that's a long trip. That's a long trip. <laughs> and um, when I got there, like everybody just dispersed. And I'm like standing there and thinking, okay, who am I going to? What's going to happen to me? And then I just heard somebody calling my name. Then, you know, it all just left me, all the fear, all the... Then when I eventually got to the place, I'm like, okay, I am alone here. My family is like a whole lot of kilometers away. I've never done this before. Um, oh, Lord, please help me. But I went through it. Like I said, it was undeniably scary, but it, it was beautiful. Like I again said, the experiences, the different cultures, people that you meet, even on the bus, um, I meet people that would just, you know, start chatting to me. And the, the one question that I encountered many a times is like, when you do look at me and I don't, you don't see my kind, you wouldn't think that I am blind. Mm -hmm. And then, but you don't look like a blind person. <laughs> and my next question, who is me? How does a blind person look? Yes. 
Yes, I can understand that one. <laughs> um, and they tell me, um, um, like, I don't know. I tell them, well, if you can tell me how the blind person looks, then maybe I can explain to you what I am definitely blind. And yeah, that was uh, um, um, the question that I had to answer many a times because in a lot of instances, like while traveling, my cane would be folded in my bag, or, you know, and they would not realize that I am blind. So yeah, that was, um, but like I said, it was very scary, very eventful, but also very exciting. That adrenaline rush through your system, it's just beautiful. So did that love of travel start right from that very first trip? Right from that first trip. And like I said, that was the first trip that I took since I lost my sight. And I just simply loved it. Wow, that's a remarkable story. Normally it takes a little bit longer to get over the anxiety and the nerves, I think. So when you travel, do you travel mostly on road travel, on buses and things like that? Or have you also done air travel? Any, any other forms? Yes, I have done air travels, but initially, <laughs> okay, but of a secret, I was scared of air travel. I'm like, uh, not for the first time, no, 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 no. I'm leaving Cape Town for the first time on my own. Um, being blind, I don't think I want to, you know, be that brave to encounter a flight on my own as yet. Let, let me just hold on to that thought. Maybe it can happen later. In fact, when I, when I applied for the job, the job description was traveling. And then I just told myself, look, if I get the job, I would get into that traveling by E soon enough. But for now, let me just be comfortable with what I know. And that's the reason for me taking the bus. I wasn't very, very um, confident taking a plane at that first time. So you were, so, you yeah. chose you chose to rather deal with one anxiety at a time. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> Sounds perfectly sensible to me. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the logistics of how you travel? If you are, what what preparation do you do ahead of the trip, and what is the technology that you use when you're traveling? Um, preparation. Okay. <laughs> on the first bus trip it was it was um the only preparation that I did was excitement <laughs> nothing else <laughs> it it in the tube and, yes. and then um naturally I wouldn't use any um technological devices or anything like that I would only use my cane and loads of breeze but other than that I would uh, go and um navigate and normally I would ask people, you know, and because, I don't know, maybe people just look at my face and they say, okay, you need help. And then they would come to me and ask me, um, do you need some help? And that's what I always loved about people because in our blindness, um, communication is the most important factor. So if you approach me, speak to me, tell me, um, or greet me, tell me, can I help you? Would you like some help? Don't grab me and run. You know, don't do that. Because I've, I've encountered that so many times. I think we all have. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, um, I've, ne I've never really used any any um, apps or any um, devices as such. I don't have a, a guide dog, um, even though I love animals. But no, not, not so close for comfort. <laughs> and then um, 
yeah, I, I, I was at first, at the start of my blind journey, I was very scared of the cane. I can't even explain to you why I was scared of the cane. But now I, I don't go anywhere without the cane. And yeah, that's, that's basically the devices that I use. That's fantastic. And I love the fact that you, you stress the importance of the, the human connection, <clears throat> the human, the ability to speak to someone and to approach people for help if you need it. Because I think a lot of times we are nervous about doing that. And I think it's such an important skill for us to have in our toolbox, whether we use apps or whether we rely on other people to assist us. They're both just different options of doing the same thing. But I do love oh. that. I think it's very important to be able to make those human connections and and. Yeah to have the courage to reach out and ask for help when you need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit scary, but, you know, you, you tend to, um, because, like I said, I don't know if people can just look at my face and just see, okay, you need help, and then they would approach me. And um, some of them would approach me incorrectly. If I say incorrectly, I would say that they would, like, pull my arm, you know, yeah. lift them. And that's another question that I would love, that I always ask them, why are you lifting my hand? Because they tend to lift the hand of the, 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 the hand that I'm using to use my cane. Then they would like, Christ it above my head? And I'm like, okay, why are you lifting my cane? <laughs> but um, um, normally it would be like, you know, when they do approach and if they do approach and I would ask them, can I please ask you to assist me with, you know, getting to a certain place or, um, helping me to do whatever I need to do. And normally I wouldn't have any problem with it. So. I think, you know, we, we hear so many dreadful stories in the media about you know, bad things that happen, but I've always had good experiences with the people that I've encountered when I'm traveling and when I'm out with my guide dog or with my white cane. And I really strongly believe that most of humanity is pretty decent and will be willing to help if, uh-huh. if they know that our help is needed. Yeah. We'll still get some of the good guys out there. It's not yeah. all um, doom and gloom. Absolutely. So in the travels that you've had, what are the sorts of challenges that you've come across? Um, I would, again, say in some instances, communication. Because, you know, as as scared or as scary as you might sometimes be, and as scared as I was at certain um, instances, it is also where I cannot blame others for also being scared. It's like they don't know how to approach you. Mm. Um, if I can, make, if I can make um, examples, like you know, when you go to the, the to the grocer down, you know, in your area, even in your own area and you take somebody with you, you will be handing that person the money. You will be doing your own shopping. But when you get to the to the cash point, they will speak to the person who's with you. And um, even going to your local GP, the doctor will examine you, but he will speak to the person that is with you. So I like would ask them, excuse me, um, I'm not, invisible I'm, I'm here you you can speak to me i do understand and in some instances people think that um 
when you're blind, you're also deaf. You also have a mental problem. It's like, um, no, we come in here for her, you know. <laughs> like, you know, people, I'm here. You can speak to me. You don't need to shout. I, I <laughs> that was um, 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 an issue that I had to deal with loads of times. Other than that, um, I didn't really. Oh yes, and then when we got to restaurants or when we got to 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 places where we were um, accommodated at hotels, people would come to you and they would just shove a braille menu in your hand. Um, I didn't want the braille menu. <laughs> you know, they they would um, or even when I was in a hospital. <coughs> Apologies. <coughs> sorry, sorry about. Even when I was, even when I was hospitalized, um, what happened was because I didn't know that people or the, the 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 staff would put food down in front of me. I didn't know because nobody told me. Yes. And um, you know, I would have sat there and I was hungry at times, and I would just eat nibbles that, you know, my family brought me or something, because I didn't know that they put something down in front of me. So I would say that the most the most encounters that I had with travels and, can I say, difficulty or would be communication. You know, people didn't know how to communicate. People didn't know how to approach. Um, well, that was basically most of the, 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 the issues that I had to deal with. Other than that, um, unless I spoke out myself, they wouldn't know. Like they would take you to your hotel room and just leave you there. Then mm -hmm. I had to tell them, listen, I, I need you to show me around. I need you to, to, to show me where things are. I need you to, um, and then they would say, there's that, there's that. Okay, where is the <laughs> Where are you pointing to? I don't even know where you're pointing to. So, can you please take me for a tour? And you know what I'm saying? And there was loads of times that I had to actually do that. I had to actually um, ask them, please show me where the kitchen is. Please show me where my bed is. Please show me where the shower is. I, I had to physically tell them all the time. You know, that, that was basically all the issues that I had. So if I'm if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that the greatest challenges that you find when traveling is that people don't know how to engage with a person who's visually impaired. And as a result, you are you have to be more vocal in advocating for yourself mm -hmm. in explaining yes. what you need. Definitely. You you have to because Look, um, for many, that is also a huge challenge because people tend to, um, you know, if you don't ask me, I'm not going to say anything. If, you, if you're not the kind of person that will speak, you are going to lose hope in yourself because you will just be sitting there. Nobody will take notice of you. Nobody will ask you. Nobody will come to you. If you don't make yourself heard, you know, or seen, can I, yeah, if I can put it like that, if you don't make yourself heard and seen, nobody's going to take notice of you. You are going to sit there and you are going to, you know, if you don't tell people, show me where the room is or show me where the bathroom is, you will spend half of your night just seeking 
just looking for your bathroom in your own hotel. You see what I'm saying? So you have to, you you actually have to be that advocate, um, advocacy um, person. You have to be that um, person that is going to show physically show them this is what I need from you. You understand? Absolutely. And that's that basically. I would say for, for lots of blind people, that is the main challenge. Yes. Um, people assume you know, or people assume they um, that you don't know, <laughs> or people will assume that you know they will just assume they'll make their own assumptions. <laughs> That's such um, an interesting challenge because if they either assume that you do know or don't, and it's so easy to get wrong, isn't it? Because we we have to adjust. We have to adjust to be able to fill in to get the information that we need. We have to adjust what we have to do. So that's such an yeah. interesting, yeah, I can understand that experience. The the ability and to... What I've also learned... Mm-hmm. Sorry. Let, carry on. What What's I've learned is that, is that when, when, when you get to places where people is with you, the people that you're with, they are as scared as you are. No, they are as good as you are. And unless you break the ice, it's going to be a very scary situation and it's going to be a very uncomfortable situation because that person is just as good as you. That's very true. Interesting observation. Okay, so taking all of that into consideration, what's the solution? What should restaurants, um, hotels, what should they do to help solve that problem? I think, you know what, for them to, to actually ask, and this we, we also need government assistance because we have loads of blind people that are unemployed, and with that we will most probably um, also, you know, listen the, 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 the employment statistics in South Africa. Because in each province, there's like a huge number of hotels. So so get to speak to people. You know, the government has come up with this EPWPs now. Get to, 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 to people and ask them, listen, come come and give us sensitization training. There's um, organizations in the areas. Approach the organizations. Um, have your whole staff trained with the sensitization training. And, and and I won't only be blaming them. It is also our own duty, our own duty as, as blind people to be teaching them in our, um, because we are we are also our own um, 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 spokespersons, you know? Yes. The minute you, you, you walk in the road with your cane or the minute you walk in the road with your guide dog, you are making a statement out there. So it is up to you to also let that people know that, listen, I need help. Or, listen, this is the way I want you to assist me. So I would say that with hotels and with restaurants, I would certainly speak to, you know, the the, the management, whoever the people is that we, that we should be approaching. Have your staff trained. Because there is blind people that um, goes on holidays. There is blind people that does travel. There is um, um, people that has low vision that needs to go to hotels and restaurants that 
you don't um, encounter every day, but they are there. So when they do get you, you know what to do about them. You know how to, to um, um, approach them. You know how to um, deal with them. And you know what their needs would be, even though you must not assume. You just go to them and you, you, you first communicate with them, speak to them, ask them what is their challenges, what do they like you to do, or what did you like them to do. And as long as there is staff members that know. Because on the other hand, people, they assume there's not a lot of people So we're not going to worry about it, you know. And that is, an, that is actually a really sad situation because um, it's like they're assuming blind people just don't visit these places. They don't frequent these places. But yet we always do. And there's lots of blind people that I know that love them. So why, why can't it happen? I think that's, okay. there's so many different um, issues that you've brought up in that response about if there were greater levels of employment, there would be greater ability for visually impaired people to engage more actively in in the um, the economy. The question of um, just the assumption that society makes that someone who's blind just can only sit at home and do nothing. But most importantly, what I liked about your answer there was the the dual approach to finding that solution. That from the tourism sector, there's a need or there should be a need to train people about how to engage. But with the twin side of that, that partially it's our responsibility as individuals who are disabled to to explain, to stand up and be involved and do things so that people out there in the world do realize that, hey, we are here. We are part of the world and you need to include us. So I I love that answer. And there's there's just so many different areas that I'd love to take that conversation, but I'm aware of time. So (laughs) let's, let's leave that point mostly there, but I think there's two very important points about our need to advocate for ourselves, which has come up several times already in our conversations, but also the need for the advocacy groups like National Council, who are doing some great work in reaching out where they know there's a problem, and also for the the, the tourism industry to acknowledge that we are part of the, the tourism sector, we do travel, And if you Mm -hmm. do go the extra mile and look into our needs and look into how best to support us, it can have a huge financial implication for them as well. So I want to go back to some of your stories about traveling because you already shared some and I think you shared one wonderful one with me about some food you had on one of your your trips that you'd never encountered before. So tell us some of your favorite moments or your favorite stories from the places and the times you've traveled. Okay, um, I had this one restaurant that I think we were at a um, workshop or some training session with government um, officials. And nobody told me what the menu was like. And it was lunchtime, and then 
somebody just dished my food and they came to put the food in front of me. And I, prior to that, I didn't like mini meal. I didn't like stuff. But I just did. I just despised the food. <laughs> and, um, but like I said, nobody told me what it was. And then um, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm not going to ask now. I'm just going to enjoy my meal. And then I started eating and I'm like, okay, this is, this is nice. This is actually delicious. It's actually very nice. And then later on, I heard, no, you ate pop. And I'm like, excuse me. Um, <laughs> excuse. <laughs> oh, what did you just say? And then they told me, no, you, you ate pop. And I'm like, okay. I still eat it to this day. And then my very first flight, oh, oh, that took Anyway, my first flight was from Johannesburg to Kimberley. Um, fly SA. I was very proud of the fact that I'm going to fly SA. But um, we were like, just like taking off. And this is my first one. And everybody prior to that was telling me about the flight, which was good. And everybody was just telling me, ah, just like you're sitting in the car and you're just driving. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. Then but like I said, they told me about the flight. So um, we still on the ground and we um preparing for takeoff. Nobody told me about that. And oh, not, not, not a really good experience. And once we were up in the sky, and then the pilot decided to tell us how I knew about sea level. And I'm like, I didn't know, need to know that. Either. <laughs> no idea why he just said that now but that is what he said and then the person just in front of me it was also his first flight and it was his 21st birthday and then the pilot decided to come and greet this person and also wish him happy birthday on the PA system and also standing in front of me greeting the guy that is now on his 21st birthday which is right um, um, excuse me and he says yes and I'm like um you just introduce yourself as the pilot to the guys here. And he says to me, yes, I did. And I'm like, um, then why are you here? <laughs> what what, is this baby? And then he laughs and he says, oh, this is your first time. So I tell him, no, I'm, I'm not asking you with this. My first time I'm asking you, you said you were the pilot, so why are you here? And you said that we are very high above sea level, so please can you just go back and say this? And um, he laughed and, you know, it was very funny to him and it wasn't very funny to me at all. I think I started crying. And um, then the, 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 the flight attendant came to me. Okay, he was gone. And the flight attendant came to me and asked me if I needed to use the ladies. And I explained to her, yes. Then she took me to the ladies and she explained everything. Mm-hmm. But she did not explain to me that when you flush the train, it's like a whole wind that comes up, and then I flash it down, and this wind, and I went into a panic. I then immediately thought that the I made a hole somewhere or something, and I went into a serious panic attack, and I started crying, and I it wasn't good. And then eventually, when I landed, the person that was supposed to get me at the airport wasn't there, and I just broke down in. A thousand liters, and I cried. I wanted to go. I don't care. And then they tried to ask me, Where do you live? And I said, I want to go back to Cape Town because I live in Cape Town. And the same, the poor 
um, um, staff at the airport who Kimberly didn't know how to handle the situation. And they asked me, who can they phone? I don't want nobody. I don't want you to phone anybody. I want to go home. Just, just take me home. <laughs> Trevor, that, that was a very, very nasty situation. And uh, <laughs> yeah, those are some of the encounters that I had. And at one stage also, um, while living in Pretoria, I went to the shops, did my shopping, and I asked this um, manager if he could get me somebody to help me do my shopping. And then I told this girl, look, I want screwy noodles. And mm-hmm. this woman took me to the hardware department. And I'm like, you know, I don't need to shopping anymore. I can go. It's okay. <laughs> I just need to go. But yeah, sometimes these this things can be fun. But in hindsight, perhaps. But when they're happening, I mean that what what you that experience on the flight, it really got me thinking about the things we take for granted when we are more regular flyers. Yeah, I, I, that was I think that was my worst experience ever because I cried, I was I went into a panic attack. That, she showed me, she explained to me how to open and close the door. We even did a demonstration before I went into the to the to the ladies. And because I, I was having a panic attack, I didn't know how to open the door. And I was like banging on the door, just open the door. And she was trying to on the outside to calm me down and trying to tell me, look, I can't help you if you're going to panic. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the smallest, finest detail that she did not tell me. Yes. It was about the wind coming up. Yes. And just that pushed me over the edge. I it was just, you know, if I talk about it now, I actually burst out laughing. But at that moment, it wasn't funny because I didn't talk about my word. Well, well, exactly. I am so happy. And know, this, oh, it was terrible. You know, and and, and I think. Wasn't. And then also the turbulence. Remember, while I was in the toilet, um, the turbulence happened and this whole thing happened. Wow, it, it wasn't a very good experience. I I was not a very happy chappy at the time because, you know, the turbulence is normally... It actually went so bad that after I went to sit down again, the um, pilot actually asked people to make sure that they see belts are tight. So you can imagine the, 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 the stress... I went through, or the panic that I went through, being inside this cubicle and not being able to get out. And but the wind was gone already, and everything was okay. But I just couldn't control the the, the fear, the the anxiety. I, I couldn't control it. And um, I think so often when we travel, you know, that the uncertainty is what causes us most anxiety because. We don't, you know, we're going to a different place. We're out of our comfort zone. We don't know what's going to happen. And it, it is, exactly. makes, already makes us just that little bit more anxious. But they'd add like, in, was, like I said, it was just a fine detail that she did not explain to me. Mm. That pushed the edge. So, you know, if people can just start understanding that no matter how insignificant a, 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 an issue might be to to somebody else, to the other person, it is not insignificant at all, you know, because that, that could be a real major um, breakdown. 
that is so true and it certainly got me thinking a lot about some of the challenges we face as travelers who can't rely on our eyesight to reassure us that everything's okay if we're if we're feeling uncertain if we're feeling scared unsettled it just yeah. all adds to that and at the time you don't know what you don't know so you don't know what still to ask wow quite an experience that but you yeah. have traveled since then and you're far more uh, experienced traveler now <laughs> very much more comfortable and you know i know what to expect so i know exactly what what where to go to do and even on that first flight the landing was so like i told you everybody was telling me about the flight but nobody told me about the taking off and the landing mm-hmm. that was also an experience on its own same and, thing um, when my when i travel with my guide dog that's the bits that she normally is like what's happening mm-hmm. so for human mm-hmm. even more so yeah definitely well oh. elizabeth if people want to contact you if they want to find out more about national council for the blind if they want to find out more about your travels the work you do how can they reach you it would be through my gmail address which is elizabeth.mapike@gmail.com and um yeah i think that would be the easiest way because i will definitely get my emails and that would be the most um can i say safest way to do things and then i've also got a blog um that i just recently started um on facebook so yeah my blog's name is literature with love by liz and yeah i would i would um normally send people my um blog um link other than that it would be my email address we can include the link to your blog in the show notes that will come out with the interview and yeah if i was if you hadn't mentioned your blog i was definitely going to ask you about that so thank you for <laughs> mentioning that here um, elizabeth a final question you're someone who didn't travel when you were younger but then losing your sight you started traveling and it suddenly developed this love of travel uh-huh. so what would you tell someone who was in the position that you were previously someone who's maybe approaching their first trip or is thinking about traveling but is nervous about doing so what advice would you give to them about why they should travel and what they should try and expect when they're traveling that they might not know okay um i would definitely tell them about the um flight experience and not the flight but the landing and the taking off i would definitely explain that story to them other than that um make sure you know who's coming to fetch you on the other side don't go and not be sure of who's there and um see to it that you have enough battery power because if you don't you might land yourself up into very serious issues and then also um it is a scary no look I, i won't lie to, to somebody by saying that oh it's all exciting and no because 
that would put that person on a level of just expecting excitement. I would actually tell that person, no, it is scary. But it's not scary to a point where when you don't know things, it's going to kill you. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's actually a very beautiful experience. It is scary at first, but once you know what to expect, it's not that scary because a lot of times you find that people are scared of the unknown, which is a major factor. And I mean, everybody's scared. I mean, a lot of people are scared of the unknown. So once you, you, you start trying to, you know, explain to people the, what they could be expecting and um, what, what, what they should be doing, like as in, um, have a piece of bolt-on or chew some bubble gum, you know, because your ears is going to close up and all those things, it's going to help. Even though, again, I say it's really small detail, it's fine detail, but it helps a whole lot. That's some great advice, Elizabeth. And I can tell you've gone come very far from that first trip on the plane where you were uncertain and, and reacted as a result of that, you now have some great tips there for other travelers. And I'm sure that in sharing those, you would help someone who's maybe feeling like traveling, but is uncertain about how to do so. So thank you for sharing those. And thank you for sharing some of your stories, some of your experiences, and a little bit about your own personal travels. It has been absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. to chat to you. And thanks for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. It was an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. I really enjoyed having the opportunity of chatting to Elizabeth Mofika and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Right, that's it from us for this time. And all that's left is to share today's travel quote with you. This is a quote from the actor Sir Richard Burton, who said, The gladdest moment in human life, methinks, is a departure into unknown lands. And with that thought, thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us in the next episode. That's it from me, your host, Laura Strachan. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa, and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Craig Stratton using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motif by Lloyd Stratton. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on a different way of traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.